What's up, y'all? I'm JJ McCorvey. I'm a journalist who writes about business and blackness. And I'm Shayna Watson, a fashion industry professional and writer with my eyes on the social and cultural impact of trends and style. And, and this, this is, is your business. Because it really is our business. Up in the morning, a new day is starting. It's me. It's me. Wait, I don't I'm know that one. <laughs> Wait, you don't know this? My responsibilities. It's me. My best friend's always on my mind. You want to be down? Come on. I got to do what I got to do. Oh, I got to move. Malisha! Yeah! <laughs> I was like, oh, I got to sing the whole thing. Well, well, here's the thing. When I was coming up, we didn't have UPN. So I've oh. never seen an entire episode of Moesha. What? Yeah. I only knew that because I know your voice and I know you were intentionally <laughs> singing like Brandy. Yeah, um, and that's, you know what? When I did that, you gotta be that. Right? I was like, oh, he's gonna I was like, know. Brandy. <laughs> I was like, that's that never say never yes. Brandy raspy. Yeah. you gotta do that. <laughs> yeah. um, and you know, it just came out recently that she was wearing a wig and those braids were a wig. What? We were all out here trying to snatch our edges, getting our micro braids in and Brandy was wearing a braid wig. But not even a weave? No, Not a even wig. like extra hair, like no, a whole wig. A whole wig. <laughs> like she took it off. And like the amount of times <sighs> that black women have spent trying to get micro braids to look like that. Because micros take, they're so tiny. They take 12 hours. Wow. And little do we she know. She pulled the ultimate stunt. The ultim- wow. That was the scam before the scam. Wow. But. Well, welcome y'all. We're yeah, back. <laughs> hey guys. Hey guys. Hey guys. <laughs> Um, how you doing? I'm good. So, you know, I w- started this thing when we started this podcast of like, after every episode, I want to do one action item. Mm-hmm. Um, Making and- me look bad because I am done. <laughs> well, I'll, I'm doing it for us. But, you know, after our last interview with Chloe and her really being a professional bully about getting our th- our name out there. I started the Instagram for business for yo business. Yeah. And like did a lot of hashtags and like tagged some like brands and started following some like brands. Um, So I feel good. I feel good that like, with our listeners, I'm out here learning and being We're like... We're both learning. Yeah, and being yeah. like, okay, I, there's something I could do today. Yeah, so. I can't wait to, like, get to our guest because, yes. oh my God, Ugh. he's dropping so many gems And he just us. dragged us. To, to hell and hell. back. <laughs> like, yeah, he's great, so I can't wait to get to that. Um, All right. News every week is just like, <laughs> we're going to try to, like, intertwine some goodness in here because... It hasn't been yeah. very good. So, like, Aunt, Aunt Becky, Uncle Jesse. <laughs> no, I'm kidding. Uncle Jesse's not a part of this. Leave John Stamos Laurie Laughlin <laughs> slash Aunt. But when I saw Aunt Becky turning, I was like, oh, Lord, who, what? It yeah. was not what I expected. No. Yeah. No. Um, so, they are in, in the midst of a national college scandal mm-hmm. which I feel like you know at this point a lot of people have talked about so we're not gonna like spend our whole day on it but right. I just think it's it's so funny I just think it's funny how <laughs> it seems like people have been worried about affirmative action for so long and this is the real action we should all be yeah. worried about like the Trump administration right now is trying to dismantle affirmative action programs in colleges yeah and it's like we don't need some kind of assurance that you're not going to, like, cheat us out of a college education. Like, here is the proof. Right. So don't worry about what we're doing. Right. Like, stop people from, like, paying 
I think it was like upwards of like a million dollars to get their kids in the college. To Photoshop their kids into sports activities. And my other thing is like, pick a side, white America. Either we're getting in because of our race or racism doesn't exist. Which is it? Like, you can't, we can't, I can't also be getting all these privileges, but then can't cry wolf when I'm saying you're beating me in the streets because I'm black. Mm. Because the thing is, you recognize I'm black, obviously. And so like, pick which side it is. And you know, when I got into... Carnegie Mellon. Um, I worked at an internship the summer before and I had a white guy say to me, you know, I guess I could have got into if I was black. <sighs> this was in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. And I remember telling my mom about it. And my mom did get into Carnegie Mellon at a more out outwardly loud affirmative action time. Like she came in through what what CMU called the minority action plan, mm. right? And so they they had that at that point. But I don't, I, I remember bringing that to her and her being like, yeah. I mean, he's number one, he's upset he didn't get in. Right. But then it's also crazy because my GPA was dope, right? right. It's like, like I did the work. I did the work. I just took advantage of the program that makes sure that I that my work is vis- can be visible. And, and Aunt Becky, it doesn't pay to have my spot taken. Right, and that I can't go to college because my parents don't have a million dollars to mm. get me there. So it's just, this like affects all of us. And, yeah. you know, I I like seeing awful people exposed for being awful. And it sparks a little extra thing yeah, when it, it's very it privileged. It's a little pep in my a step. Little pep, yeah, I was yeah. just like, yeah, be embarrassed. Mm-hmm. I'm glad. Like, the I guess FBI like ran up on them. Yeah, be embarrassed. <laughs> Start to be treated like a criminal because what you did was against the law. Mm-hmm. And you're out here worried about black thugs and brown terrorists. Disgusting. And did you see that one of the sons of somebody, um, Gregory and Marcia Abbott, who I guess are part of this scandal, was interviewed and was saying that this the FBI is blowing this out of proportion. And while he was interviewing, he was smoking on a huge blunt. <laughs> and he, On video? Yeah, on video. There's a video of it. And mm. then he was like, I didn't go to college. And then tried to promote. And he was like, but check out my latest CD, which mm. also lets you know what kind of <laughs> rapping white fool this is. CD! <laughs> and the CD is called Cheese and Crackers. You lying. No. And the song title is... <laughs> the feature song is If I Lost My Money. But you're not. You will never lose you your money. You will never lose your money. That's, the, that's not even that's a hypothetical. The gag. <laughs> but I just like, the, white privilege is like a hell of a drug. It's real. And it is. I think one of Aunt Becky's daughters in real life, she's, um, she dropped I guess, out. an influencer. Oh, yeah. But uh, yeah, she dropped out. But like, but she also had sponsorships that's because cool. of who she is. Good. And Sephora was like, you no, no, you lied. no, yeah. that's not what our brand stands for. Yeah. So good for Sephora. Good. Yeah. Yeah. You, your wrongs need to be taken into account. Yeah. Um. So speaking of weed. <laughs> <laughs> speaking of cheese and, and taking, crackers. And taking things into account. I am standing for the Assemblywoman of the New York State uh, Council. What's she do? Um, So her name is Crystal People Stokes. She's the first black woman to serve as assembly leader. Mm. Um, And basically, Crystal is one of the leaders of this uh, (laughs) of this group of black legislators in New York State um, who are saying they will not allow marijuana legalization to pass in the state if it does not 
do more to account for people who are a locked up, you know, black people who are locked up in jail right now for marijuana possession, but also like creating programs for um, job training and like incentives for people of color to start their own dispensaries. Mm. And I just, I just love like this, um, this notion of, of this woman saying, no, like, I'm not letting it pass. Right. Like I've seen, and I th- the, so the quote from her, this was from the New York Times, I also love. Um, so apparently Governor Cuomo put this plan in place and he had like, you know, something called a quote unquote social economic, social and economic equity plan, but it wasn't any details. <laughs> and she said, they thought we were going to trust that at the end of the day, these communities will be invested in. But that's not something I want to trust. Right. If it's not required in the statute, then it won't happen. That's the whole quote. And I just, I was like, yes, Crystal. Yes. People Let a black stoked. woman lead us. Because she's seen what's happened. You know, she's seen like this boom and um in the cannabis industry, which I think is a is a good thing. But I also think that we need to take into account one, um, people, like I said, who are obviously disproportionately in prison for weed possession mm-hmm. right now um, as these majority white uh, entrepreneurs are opening their own dispensaries and like setting up legal, <laughs> getting incentives to, to financial incentives to set up these legal dispensaries. Um, and then two, a lot of times um, black entrepreneurs are shut out. Even if you aren't in, pr- in, um, in prison, a lot of times, because you, um, if you have like a, a a past, you know, conviction or things on your record, like mm-hmm. you can't, you know, like you change your address to get your kid into a good school, <laughs> right? Right. It, now you can't open a dispensary. Right. The loop is, yeah. isn't it? It's like it's, on it's crazy. So even if you were like a, say you sold weed on the side and mm-hmm. you got busted for it or whatever, and now you want to do now it you want to take way. it legal, you can't take it legal, but. You but know, Harry over here right. can just be like, oh, now I want to start a dispensary. And with he these. most likely sold weed on the side also. Probably. But Stop and Frisk didn't stop him. So yeah. it's just yeah, and the, just the, the layers. Yeah, for sure. And just some like some quick stats that um, that I thought were really interesting. So so as I said, she's <laughs> Crystal is not having it. She's like, I've seen how this has played out in other states. Um, for example, in Colorado. Black entrepreneurs said they were banned from winning licenses because of previous convictions, as I said. Black people also make up a handful of the thousands of uh, white license, uh, the thousands of license holders in the state. (laughs) White license holders. (laughs) That was probably true. Probably. (laughs) Um, In California, several cities introduced um, equity programs. uh, retroactively, so in Oakland, at least half of the licenses um, to open a dispensary go to people with the cannabis-related conviction and who fell below an income threshold, hmm. um, which I think is amazing. Yeah, and there are some good. I feel like I've I started to hear some kind of bright sides of like black people being involved in the cannabis industry, and so. Yeah. Seems like there is some movement there. Her name is Dawn Dixon. She's the founder CEO of a company called Popcom. And she's she's raised almost a million dollars just from crowdfunding alone for starting a marijuana uh, medical medical marijuana vending machine. That's awesome. Which I think is amazing. Right. Yeah. Can you imagine? Yeah. <laughs> 
I know a lot of people who'll be happy about that. <laughs> and then this is like not related, but a story that we have to talk about. So have you heard about this Blue Ivy trademark battle? I haven't. What happened? So when Beyonce wanted to trademark Blue Ivy's name, because obviously Blue Ivy was a brand before she was even created. Mm-hmm. And so smart and tip to us about trademarking is like before something's even born because you best believe sir and rumi carter's name are Mm -hmm. already Mm -hmm. blue ivy though she's coming up um against a little battle because there's a woman who has owned blue ivy it's like a planning event Mm -hmm. um company for seven years and older than blue ivy i don't know anything about (laughs) this lady i am a beyonce i'm in the beehive of course what I'm saying is this girl, in the face of Beyonce taking her to legal action, uh-huh. this girl offered the Carters the option of acquiring both her business and the trademark and then collaborating with them on a product line for $10 million. I mean, I ain't mad. I'm not mad, right? <laughs> like, if Beyonce came and wanted something that you had... Yes, B. Yes, I need to be B. in on the proceeds. Exactly. I love you, Stan. I love yes. you so much. Uh, from Dangerously in Love yes. to Formation. Yes. Great. But bills, bills, bills. I need the back. Right. Please, the back. Right. <laughs> Did you hear about Louis Vuitton's newest kind of controversy? What happened now? I know we've been having a lot of fashion controversies. We lately. have been, but it's so it's not racial. It's not blackface. No, it's not oh, blackface. Thank, thank you, goodness. Lord. There is a black face behind it, but it's not blackface. <laughs> it's not that. So face. it's not that kind of blackface. Um, so Virgil Abloh, who is Louis Vuitton's artistic director, used and creative director of Off White, friend of Kanye. Louis Vuitton, like his, I think, newest collection was very Michael Jackson influenced. So Virgil Abloh has always said how he plays Michael when he designs. And like, you know, a lot of people are influenced. Mm -hmm. And in light of the uh, Finding Neverland, um, Louis Vuitton has decided to pull the collection before its retail launch. And Hmm. it's just interesting to me because, you know, he... Virgil was saying the Michael that I thought was universally accepted, the good side, his his humanitarian self is the person that I was referencing here. Hmm. But it's like, can we separate that? And That's a good question. Um, and yeah, and, and it just seems to also be selective cancel cancellations because Virgil Abloh also was under fire recently for putting Ian Connor, who's a straight a streetwear a streetwear it boy, and was also on Kanye's team for a while, who has been um who has had allegations of rape against him from six different women hmm. front row at Louis Vuitton's fashion show. Mm. So it's like, how? It's like I guess once the public knows about it and accepts it, then we're ready once to you cancel. Become, once it, it draws, uh, you attract negative attention. Right, yeah. right. And so that's why some of these cancel, cancellations, I'm not necessarily thinking that you're doing it out the goodness of your heart. Oh, of course right? not. And so because it's like you also have someone who has growing allegations yeah. and Ian Connor is kind of just trash in the sense that I don't know who he is <sighs> look on his Twitter like okay. there's been people that have come up and said like where's your consequences and he goes well if the consequences is me making more money then that's already happened because <gasps> he says he doesn't he's, he didn't do it but it's six different women right it's just like mm. ugh, a whole thing and so you know he's been called out for plagiarism a lot and mm-hmm. so he also was in he was just all over fashion news this week. And the New Yorker ran an article on him where he basically, I wouldn't say 
cop to, but he talked about that there is a design cheat code where it's a 3% rule, which I have talked to you. We I talked to you about this mm-hmm. on Crank That Licensing Deal. Is like, that's what private label is. Hmm. There's a 3% trademark legality mm-hmm. that as long as you can find that much of a difference, I think it's three points of difference, then it's not a knockoff. And he like admits that that's Ugh. what he's doing. Ugh. Yeah. Something we've talked about a lot from a business standpoint of like, even in creating this podcast, right? Like we had to we figure out who else had the name. And if someone mm-hmm. has a name similar, do we still want the name? And, you know, and so it does kind of bring you around to this idea of like, when is it imitation? When is it reference? When is, when is it, it inspiration? Right. Because we both are, you know, uh, podcast enthusiasts. And yeah. we have... Um, we definitely have like some of the same um, inspirations and podcasts that we listen to every week, right? Mm-hmm. And I am a stan of those, you know, podcasts. But I would never like, just like, like word for word, just like word for word crib, and just like change, like, uh, like I wouldn't have called it. I wouldn't call this podcast the business, you know, mm, you know, yeah. like, <laughs> yeah, 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 <laughs> or like <laughs> still businessing, right? You know. <laughs> Another business. Because, you know, come on. like Yeah. So I saw this story recently on a website called Esports Insider. But it was really referencing another feature on a site called (laughs) Ozzy.com. And it was really interesting to me because the headline is Hip-Hop and Esports, A Match Made in Heaven. And it basically talks about how, you know, so esports is like, you know, competitive video gaming. You know, there's a lot of money in it. You know, um, people get sponsored. You can become basically till today with between Fortnite and Twitch and all these, um, you know, mainstream video games. Now you can you can become a celebrity as a professional gamer. And so a lot of um, a lot of. Rappers are getting into the esports space, and um, I think Drake invested in the company. Diddy invested in a in a, a high school esports company called Play Versus recently. Soldier Boy recently announced that he was going to start an esports organization. And go know. on, Soldier Boy, <laughs> Drake. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, but I don't know. It's just. And uh, it just it kind of triggers something in me to where I'm, I'm. It just feels like less of you know this convergence or collaboration between hip hop and get another tech trend. No, it's profiting blackness, right? Versus is be, the best money maker. It's being a v, it, like it's it just feels like esports is now using hip hop and another part of black culture as so many technologies do and and trends do as a vehicle into the mainstream Mm -hmm. like you know to get drake to to for a lot of these esports competitions to be you know to have rappers at the events and being like collaborate on festivals and things and i think i think it's cool i think it's great that if rappers want to become investors in an esports team or you know uh, a tech platform but again as we always ask how many of these companies start from the outset you know thinking yeah maybe diversity will be nice you know maybe we should and and not necessarily to me the fact that they immediately go to like a rapper is Mm -hmm. like just so it blatantly says that this is 
this was an afterthought. When a company is not doing well, look at their marketing directly after. And I can talk uh, from the fashion side. When Gap started doing really badly, they had like ASAP Rocky in there. Mm. That's like the like, all right, we got to get back. And like, who's the pinnacle of culture? Black people. Specifically rappers, athletes, and who who has their pulse on that? Yeah. So we got to get that. Yeah. Anytime I'm I'm I guarantee you think of a company that's not doing well and look I never thought about that. I can tell you some others that I can't talk about, <laughs> but I just like you look and you're like, wait, why are there all so many black people in your ads now? You literally never had a black person on there yeah. before. It's just like how many how many black folks did you hire to create this um, this platform how right. many applied you know and right. like how diverse is the team and then all of a sudden when you get big and you're like oh we need to get more people on this on this video game or in involved in esports or promote our festival it's like let's partner with ASAP mm-hmm. and Drake mm-hmm. you know I don't know it just it just kind of like it was the cherry on a cake of like a long week of like seeing these types of stories of like of very insular networking and investing um, and seeing how that contributes to the um, the disparity and opportunity for for black folks in tech, uh, and just really quickly, that was like that was a story, another story about the New York Times about. So as you mentioned last week, uh, Lyft and Airbnb are about to go public. Um, executives have stakes in 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 the company, and, and so when when companies like that go public, then you know you make a lot of money. Mm-hmm. So the story was about how now all these employees at these companies are going to invest their new millions into more like, white the, companies. Exactly. Where else would they put like, it? Like who? But specifically, people they know at the company who are who are leaving to start their own ventures, and it's just like, and the headline was like, meet the people from. Airbnb and Lyft who are, you know, funding the future of tech. And I'm like, of course, this is what happens. That's what, it's so, it's the pot is so small. Well, the pot is so large, but those around the pot is so small that, of course, they're just going to keep circulating the money within them. Um, and then when I so need some good promotion me. later on, when they get when they grow, they'll call Drake to right. be on the platform. Of course. And which is why I think, like, that is a perfect entrance to what Eric's going to talk about today, because I feel like when he talks about the importance of networking outside of our comfort zones mm. and then also kind of this I, the, the idea that you're talking about of like getting when you're when you saddle up next to those people coming from Uber right. and Lyft and then then you're in their network, then they right. invest in your thing. Right? right. And so kind of pushing ourselves outside exactly. of that. Yeah, I'm excited. Eric, he was coming in like reading my entire yeah. life. And I know that you guys are going to enjoy this interview. Yeah. Come on back. Okay, I'm so, so excited for our guest today. So today we have Eric Zambrano, who's the founder of Brecolage, which is a growth consultancy. Uh, He primarily works with professional service firms. So think your accounting firms, your software firms. Um, And we have so much to ask him because we know he has so much to teach us. So Eric, we are so excited to have you. Thank you for having me. I'm really Yay. excited. Yay. I'm so, so glad we finally got you on. I know that you'll bring the fire this episode because you're my former roommate. That's right. That's right. That's right. <laughs> and that's oh, my we gosh. You could tell us so much about JJ. <laughs> no, please we go way back. We go way back. <laughs> please don't. I'm pretty, I'm pretty sure he has like a lot of tea he could spill. I mean, you, me, you, you got equal amount of tea, right? <laughs> it goes both ways. We should have bought drinks so that we could like really get the business. But, um, but yeah, I... 
Eric and I were roommates for two or three years, and we would always like, you know, stop by each other's rooms and talk about business and talk about what he was working on and what new firm he was director of marketing at. Yeah. And what's interesting is I was I was just entering the tech scene mm. when when we were kind of living there, so I was like, oh wow, you work at Fast Company. I have so many questions to ask because I'm mm. living this stuff day in and day out. So it was a great time. Yeah, yeah, and it's it's really cool to see like how you're career has blossomed since then because not only did you get into tech but now you have like your own consultancy where you work with tech firms um so if you can first start with uh a description of bricolage and um and what you offer to uh your clients sure um bricolage started really as an experiment um i was working full-time And what I noticed was that the work that I was doing for my employer, there was probably other companies that could use that level of strategic thinking. So what I started to do was tap into my network of past employers that had gone on to um, build their own consulting firms. And I said, hey, do you need some extra muscle? I'm happy to, you know, slot in if if you have any client engagement and, and I can offer strategy work, you know, be client facing. So that really got me to start to see the type of um, people that a lot of these professional service firms needs mm-hmm. need. Um, oftentimes, it's someone that can go into a client engagement, analyze a problem, develop a PowerPoint, present it, collect the feedback, relationship with the client. So that really got me to think about, all right, there's definitely a market for someone like myself and there's only one of me, how do I scale this? So what I started to do was moonlighting consulting um, where I had a nine to five and, you know, let's say from one to two, one day I would pop into a conference room. Hey, where did Eric go? No one knows. <laughs> uh, I'm, I'm presenting to another another client um, and working with uh, the the agency owner that, that was in charge of that client. So that really got me to think about the side hustle and the fact that there could be multiple ways for me to make money. So Long story short, I said, let me standardize the work that I'm doing from a marketing perspective for this software agency that's my employer, and then say to other software agencies, hey, I offer these services. Are you interested? So that was the genesis of it. Um, it took about two years to really get there in terms of like making it full time. But now I partner up with professional service firms. Um, and what I say to them is, hey, what are you dealing with? Right. And usually it has to do with a lack of leads. Uh, slowed revenue growth or being super dependent on word of mouth marketing where your next client is coming from the agency owner going out there and networking. It's not scalable. Um, so I really solve those problems and, and figure out ways to help agencies grow their leads, grow their revenue and move away from being dependent on word of mouth marketing. And how did you position yourself as an expert, right? Because I feel like I do something huge for a big company, but there's kind of a disconnect in my own mind about me being an expert of that thing to be able to then go out and tell other companies. So like, how did you get to that place where you're just like, you know what? <laughs> yeah. I mean, I definitely had that same, the same symptoms you're experiencing. of yeah. like, eh, Am I really doing something unique here? Or right. will they pay for this? Um, how do I even put a contract together? So that, you know, there was a whole mountain of doubt that I had to overcome, but ultimately what I figured out was, um, if you, if you have one extra person with you there, it, it, it really changes the dynamic. So um, I was lucky enough to have um, my ex-business partner who was the salesperson at my software organization. 
Um, so it, it was a good story, right? We, we worked at a software consultancy firm. I was the marketing person. He was the salesperson. Um, and together we grew that business, you know, to, to, from cold start from like zero to like $4 million in terms of, um, working with big companies. So right. we, we knew how to, how to grow a book of business. Um, and it just so happens to be that he was, you know, in the market for doing his own thing. I was doing my own thing. We came together and to answer your question, you know, having someone there to kind of, um, have a little bit of bench depth, right. It's not just you walking into a room. It's like, you know, we're a company. Mm-hmm. Um, and then we were also able to formalize a lot of the frameworks and a lot of the, the pitch together. So therefore the pitch, um, uh, was provoking the clients and making them think in new ways that then opened up their appetite for what we were doing. Cause we were asking provoking questions and we knew how to steer the conversation. Um, so yeah, th- those things, having, having some bench step and then being able to ask the questions within a client meeting that make them think, Hmm, I could probably use these, these gentlemen here to help out with some of my business problems. Right. Yeah. And then at what point, did you know, like, what what was the indicator for you that, okay, it's time uh, for me to leave the, the full-time world and start my own thing? Like, I don't have to moonlight anymore. Like, did, was there... <clears throat> yeah, was me. it like a dollar amount? Did you get to a place where you're just like, all right. <laughs> yeah, did you, like, book a big client? Um, for me, it was, uh, until that full-time job wasn't a full-time job anymore. <laughs> okay. So by necessity. Almost. Yeah. 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 It was kind of like that. The, the contract dried up. Well, there, there's two stories, but it's, it's for the purposes of this, it'll just be, um, that, that wasn't there anymore. So I'm like, all right, I, I feel very confident to continue what I'm doing already and just go out there and, and you take back that time that I was working from nine to five and say, all right, right. let me use that time to go get new business. You know, because the last thing you want to do is go from a nine to five to your own thing. And then you're just working for another client nine to five, mm-hmm. right? You have to say, all right, how do I do this from like nine to 12? And then from 12 to five or 12 to eight, 12 to 10, let me go out there and get more shots at the basket to then have new sets of problems, which are, all right, I've got four clients now. Um, and what a good problem to what have. What a good problem to have, right? <laughs> so now, now you got to go out there and potentially hire someone, subcontract someone to handle some of that that workload. Um, so it's just it's just for me, it's a continuum of having new problems and and then being smart about how you're spending your time to have new problems. So I think having new problems is actually a good thing. Right. If you're having the same problems, it's like you're not growing or trying anything Ooh, new. That's a word. No, write that down. Yes. And then like. Um, can you talk about some of some examples of the problems that your clients come to you with like and and you formulate a, a plan for them to help you know steer themselves out of that or help grow their business like give us give us an example of like some of the issues I'm a business therapist okay mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> you know um, right and we all need therapy y'all exactly um, a lot of times these clients that I work with, right, they're agency owners. They've been at it for eight years. They've never had a reset and said, let me talk about my problems, right? And let me talk to someone that can, may not know the answers to my problems right now, but at least can put together a strategy. So for me, strategy is probably the biggest thing that I provide. And that is what I call business therapy, where we sit down and say, all right, what are the goals? What is that North Star you're looking to accomplish, right? And oftentimes that statement isn't right. It's like, oh, I'm trying to, I'm trying to grow to five million dollars, and it's like, whoa, 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 whoa. but right. that's 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 a quantifiable outcome. 
what is the vision? Like, what is the North Star for getting there? And then we start to talk about, oh, well, we have this IP that we're really excited about that we think could be our, you know, our secret sauce. Then we start having more interesting conversations, all right? How do we apply that secret sauce to um, achieve some sort of outcome, right? Maybe it's helping the hospitality industry get better about their mobile app development with this secret sauce, right? Then it becomes a lot more specific and more mm-hmm. tangible in terms of how we can do it. Um, so that's that's a big part of it. Um, the more tangible things are leads. Where do I get leads from, right? People, everyone has, everyone nowadays is a consultant. If you look on Twitter, everyone's a consultant, yeah. right? And everyone, we just read an article about that recently too, I think that we've talked about where it's just like more people are consultants than not at this point. Mm-hmm. So, yep. yeah. Yep. And if you're, if you're, you know, some of the folks listening, right, if you have a specialty and you want to be a consultant, but you have no leads, maybe you met someone, they were interested, but they faded away and never replied to your email, right? Everyone needs leads. Um, Some people have leads and they want to grow revenue. They want to be like, find me more of these leads. And I don't want to go spend, you know, $20,000 to throw an event to get three of these leads. I want to do it a lot cheaper. Help me grow the revenue. So, um, a big part of it is that is the, the the lack of strategic thinking that they need me to come help um, usher um, leads revenue um, positioning is a big part right um, what is the firm's positioning if you're an accounting firm cool there's like a million of them right but if you're an accounting firm that helps other tax professionals become digitized and you're like the platform that does that, that's an interesting story to tell. Mm. Similarly for a lot of my software clients, right? A lot of these firms are just building apps and it's like, all right, you can go abroad to get that app done really quickly, really cheaply on Upwork, right? What is like, how are you going to exist? What's Upwork? Upwork is Craigslist for freelancers. Okay. In layman terms, right? Kind of like Fiverr? Yeah, kind of like Fiverr. Yeah. But it's, it's, um... (laughs) I want to say they're a public company or they're on their way to becoming a public company, but um, we actually did an event with, with Upwork. So that's why I know about them. But um, yeah, there you go on there. You say, I need a mobile app developer. Someone in Romania will hit you up nice, and, and you get it done that way. Um, so things like that, you know, long-term positioning of clients is super important and, and they're looking to me to help tell a story around their business. So it sounds like what, and this like brings me to a question that I already had about a unique value proposition for businesses. Like you talk about that on your site and I've stalked you on Twitter and you've also talked about that. And so what, how do I figure that out for my brand? And then how do I not get caught in the comparison trap? Right. Cause even for us, we have a podcast, there's a babillion podcast. <laughs> and so it's like, how do we make sure that we've crafted this UVP, this unique value proposition and not look around to the podcast to the left and right and say, everyone's doing this. What's the point of me doing it also? Yeah, um, that's a big question. And I think it it depends on the type of organization you're looking to run. But if we take the, the example of some of my clients, um, what I tell them is, marketing can equal can equal words it, it can't it can't marketing doesn't equal words right marketing has to be product your work product your your ip mm. your your specific process for doing this you have to have something tangible in your process in your client outcome that is differentiated right um so therefore sometimes we run into this problem where we're trying to come up with a unique value proposition and it's just not it's not it's not coming up and it's and that's when we're we're forced to take a look at the process and be like, what's really unique here, right? If we say, 
you know, we do this. Yeah, a lot of people do that, right? right? But it's really getting a layer down and figuring out what that differentiation is. And differentiation to me means um, what is unique about your process? What is unique about your product? If you think about Uber back in the day, right? There was a first platform, first mobile app that allowed you to summon a car with the press of a button to your location. Mm-hmm. That was the product. The business model was the differentiation. The product, the technology was was what was unique about it. They didn't go out and try to build a big marketing campaign about Uber. They said, no, we're going to let the product do the talking. And if you look back at their um, history, they were literally paying drivers in Seattle to just be in a car ready. So when that first Mm. client hit the button, they were going to get that experience, that full delivery of the product and business. Um, So I think in our day and age, you have to have an element of that where the product speaks for itself. And then the, the words, the unique value proposition will write itself. That's really cool. That's great advice. Um, and speaking of this day and age <laughs> and like all these competitors um, and competitive signals and um, people trying to stand out in a crowded marketplace, um, whether that's via media or the different apps that you you can be downloading or the shows you should be watching. Um, that's just like so much that we, that are, that are, com- that is competing for space in our brains. Yeah, right? of course. So like given that, like, you know, it's, I imagine in this climate, it's, it's hard for businesses and brands to, you know, to kind of stake out that attention. So what kind of advice do you tell your clients about how to like cut through the noise and like, you know, and reach the, that potential customer like mm-hmm. in 2019? Mm-hmm. Um, I think there has to be an element of, um, of spectacle in this, right? If if we think about the attention economy that we're operating in, there has to be some sort of entertainment to it. Mm. Um, and that is a radical way of thinking for businesses because they're used to operating in Fortune 500 land, but now they're operating in, you know, you've got, so, like, you got celebrities that are just eating 80% of our attention, right? You got Instagram eating 80% of our attention. Even if you're a corporate executive, if you're, you're still probably on Instagram kind of, you know, wasting some time. So, um, I, I think, you know, for, from a business perspective, you have to have some sort of spectacle to it. You so, know. But you don't mean like, you know, a start, like if I'm a mobile Like a app scandal. Startup. Right. No, 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 no. No, I, I mean a creative business spectacle, okay. right? right? Like throwing an event or, you know, um, going beyond everyone else to, to produce something that okay. is going to shift the eyeballs away from, you know, we as humans are very lazy, I think, right? We're, we're programmed to conserve energy in the case that when we do have to escape danger, we have the energy to escape it. That's how right. we're programmed, right? On a human DNA level. So what that means for businesses is that if you're making your consumers do work, it's like, whoa, hold yeah. on. Like, this, is, this feels like, you know, yeah. I got to invest the time, right? I'd rather just throw on Netflix. So I think um, <laughs> taking some cues from the entertainment world um, and applying them to cre- develop creative business spectacles that are like, wow, that's interesting. I want to attend that, yeah. you know? So, and, and it's the classic problem, right? How do you get someone on, on a website to, to give up their email and name and phone number, right? That's, that's all you're doing. We're all we're doing is like, Hey, we're going to give you something. You're going to give us this and we're, and we're hopefully going to nurture you in a way that you'll eventually buy from us. Right. Yeah. Um, you know, Netflix free 30 day trial. Oh, word. Half mm-hmm. a month, of, a whole month of free. I'll give you my email and then. Right. And my credit card. Info. And your, exactly. exactly. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah. And that you keep charging me right. a dollar By more accident. every year. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> 
So I, I, I think, you know, uh, I challenge my clients a lot with that in terms of like, let's, let's do something unique here. We have to break the noise. And usually when you um, have that left side thinking, mm. that's when you at least arrive at a better idea than if you just kind of went the traditional route. Yeah. But I imagine if you're like a, a really young startup, right? If you're like just getting in the game. You don't have money like necessarily throw an event or create a spectacle. So what's like a mini spectacle? <laughs> what's a free spectacle, Eric? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I've had this idea in my head, and I don't know if it's a good idea or a bad idea, but if this I'm— This is a safe space. This is a safe space, all right. If I'm a listener, right, and I'm a consultant that wants to get into the consulting game, I'm literally, you know— if I have a car or if I can get access to a car, I'm like trying to put some posters in front of that car and just going mm-hmm. to high concentrated small business areas and just posting up out front. Yeah. Half an hour consultancy for free and there's coffee. Damn. Step in my car mm-hmm. without, you know, the, the, yeah, yeah. <laughs> the get, weird, get in my car. Get in my car, you know? <laughs> um, I mean, that's, that's like, that's yeah. novel thinking, right? right? What does it require you to go hustle to find someone's car Go to Kinko's, print out a poster, put your put your flag up. You know, you're a scrapper. I mean, that's this that, is him. This that, is that, that, that's the brainwork. that's the yeah. only like for me. If you ask me, how I'd rather spend my Saturday as like some of the listeners on here in terms of what I'm gonna go do to make some money, mm-hmm. I'm doing that because mm-hmm. I know I may have ten conversations and two of those might pop. Yeah. Versus if I'm at home typing mm-hmm. away on LinkedIn. I got 30 eyeballs that were just like one second of scrolling. Right. Right. So I got 30 seconds there versus people are like, whoa, what's going on? Yeah. Hey, and boss. that kind of breaks the rhythm of like what they're used to doing. And that is such an old school way of thinking, right? Like I feel like when you hear so many people, it's like about this engagement with your social media followers and how we have like this whole audience at our fingertips. But I feel like you're saying that like experience and IRL is key. I mean, what are you going to talk to your followers about? Your lack of like business right clients yeah they're gonna be like all right you know cool you yeah, fast. yeah we don't have any either <laughs> you know you know how to use the threading mechanism on on twitter but look that's all fair i'm just challenging like my challenge is, yeah. is exactly that let's get out of the home let's get out of the coffee shops mm-hmm. go out there in real life meet people set up meetings you know um one of the best experiences that i've had with my old employer was like if we're not having 100 meetings a week what are we doing it's, it's a numbers game. Thinking like that I th- and, and, and trying to, you know, get as many bats at bats as you can during a week, I think is super important as an entrepreneur because otherwise you're, 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 you're literally are going to be a person in the bedroom. Um, and, and, you know, there's a lot of goodness inside of us that we have to get out in the world. We just have to be smarter about how we get it out there. Mm. We've looked you up or I've looked you up because I didn't know you before today Mm -hmm. but you have a super impressive client list and like how have you done it like what's the secret to networking to a profitable end because in New York we could all be out networking at all times but to turn it around into a profitable end I think is a trick that a lot of us haven't mastered I think it's pretty simple Um, make yourself some business school friends Mm -hmm. that have graduated from business school that are out there in the world making it happen because you better believe they're getting hit up for advice all the time. And they can't take it all on. So mm-hmm. if you're if you're an independent consultant, right, that's that's been the trick for my um my uh um story so far, where there's this concept of nodes. 
right? Um, and it's a sociological concept, um, and it's the it's the power of informal ties. Oh, that's right, because you're a sociologist. Exactly, exactly, exactly. Yeah. Um, so that book that book knocked me on my butt, um, and it's Mark Ganzovetter, uh, the power of informal ties, um, and it pretty much argues that if you are not networking with people that you don't really know. Mm. then the opportunities that you're going to get are going to be the opportunities that you already know about, right? So if me and JJ, we know the same people and we're all hanging out, yeah, it feels comfortable. It feels great. But if some new- Ooh, You're reading my entire life in this moment. I feel, I feel moment. so dragged. Like I'm in the situation <laughs> right now where I was, ju- I was literally just saying this to Shana. I was literally just saying this. <sighs> right? So an Go opportunity ahead. comes to that social network- and everyone's scrambling to get it. It's like everyone, you know, it's like everyone knows about it, right? Versus if you spend 80% of your time, I'm going to spend some time over here. I'm going to spend some time with that group over there in, in the Bronx, some time with some folks down in, in, in the Fidei folks, you know, some folks in Midtown. I'm going to get my Uptown game up. I'm going to go to Queens, right? And then even by community, right? Like, like I'm black and gay. Like, what? so I have, where, what, where can I go to like, congregate with my people mm-hmm. but there's also like parts of my identity that i don't you know tap into that much you know from a community standpoint exactly so i think um you know what i try to do is is have my hands and and my and my presence in like a lot of different areas that are unique so that way what you do then is you build friends in those different networks right and then they're like you know what i really like that eric kid i got this thing i can't handle it let me hit him up see if he wants to go mm-hmm. do this thing for, for for my friend so Change is tough, right? Mm-hmm. I feel like we know that. And I know I've worked with enough consultants to know that even if <clears throat> change management isn't part of the business, it's always part of the business, right? Because companies want things to change, but they don't necessarily want to change. Yeah. So I feel like if you could pull some of your life coach out and help us <laughs> with like, how do you deal with the necessity of change, both like in business and personal? Because I'm a psych major, so I, I link to your sociology yeah, yeah, brain as sure. far as that we're all connected and it's all human based because humans are always involved. And so kind of what, what is your step one of handling change? Even when it's, there's going to be growing pains. Mm -hmm. Dealing with change. Um, I think the, the best approach to dealing with change is tapping into the selfishness of humans. And what I mean by that is we are selfish creatures and we don't change until we see a better outcome through quantifiable mm. results. Eric! Oh, sorry. <laughs> right? You really should like start you like really some should. kind of life coach. It Ugh. sounds it sounds, you know, um it sounds a little dark, but right. I think it's the truth. It's yeah. very true. And um the truth certainly for a lot of people. Right. Right? The the enlightened folks that we come across and that we love usually try to be a little bit more disciplined about that human nature. Right. Right. Um, but to go back to your question about the change, um, for me, you know, in my path to increasing my level of commitment to entrepreneurship, the selfish part of me was like, you know what, I'm just going to do a nine to five and it's going to be fine. Right. But then once you start seeing um, compounded better results elsewhere, you're like, ah, I don't maybe need that anymore. Right. So uh, I think dealing with change, you have to have experiments. And, and I'm big on this, right? Because I think this is a big thing in tech, especially, mm. right? How do we run the most amount of experiments mm. to see what the users actually say? 
right? Because you're dropping, you're dropping some. I don't know if y'all listening, if y'all like are listening <laughs> right. to this man, but you are dropping some gems right now for free. For free. <laughs> for now. Right. Oh, duh. Like if y'all want the real deal. Yeah. So so why? But that part about um, wanting to stay in a comfortable space. Why is that selfish? Oh, why because that- because it, it, it's it's not you know you don't have to worry. You know the routine. You wake up. You swipe the metro card. You get your bacon, egg, and cheese. You sit down. You do the amount of work that you have to do to make it look like you're doing the, the mm. amount of work that you have to do, or mm. you go extra hard to try to get that promotion. Whatever the case may be, right? So I think you know just just um, running those experiments that are going to make your days look different. Embrace that, because for me, you know, there's been plenty of things in the past like year that I've done differently that I'm like, oh, now I'm doing this now. Mm. I wasn't doing this with my Saturday morning before, or I wasn't in these types of rooms before. And then once you start seeing that change, it's like working out, right? Once you start losing a couple pounds or your shoulders get a little bigger, you're like, all right, that, that makes you go harder. Right. And I think it's the same way with business and professional development, right? Like how do you try new things to get you new looks for new outcomes? I want Eric, the life coach and Eric, <laughs> the oh, founder yeah. of a growth consultancy to give us one action that we can take away today to move away from being job seekers and towards being job creators. Like Mm. if that's the direction we're trying to go in, what Mm. is something I can hang up from this and go do today? Define your niche. Create structure around how you create value for that niche and put something out there in the world and promote it and get feedback. So WeWork is a co-working space, right? Um, and they have tiers. You can get an office for nine people. You can get a hot desk that's shared that doesn't have, you know, an office is like literally a desk inside of a cafeteria kind of thing. Um, and you can also get a digital membership, which just allows you access to their digital network. So their, their Craigslist, their internal Craigslist, right? That it's all small businesses saying, I need this, I need that. Who can help? What do you guys think? I'm doing this, promoting it, right? So you can easily tap into that network as a budding entrepreneur and create your presence on there. Like the same way you would create a dating profile, start writing content, (laughs) put it on there. Um, And then someone says, Hey, I need some help with this. You're like, and you give them a good pitch. Look, I have specialty in this. I've done this with that 45 bucks a month. You get access to a lot of leads for, for a pretty good cost. And that's a great incubation area for your, whatever you're looking to um, do. This was so good. And thank you for letting us keep you for so long. But we obviously had a lot. Yeah, I feel exhausted, (laughs) but it's because I know that there's like more that I could be doing. Right. So this was really helpful. Yeah. Thank Thank you. Wait, where can we find you? Where can our listeners find you on social? On social, um, it's my uh, on Twitter, Eric E. Zambrano. So that's E R I K E, the letter E, Z A M B R A N O. Um, and then my website is bricolage.work because it's all about the work. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you, Eric. You're very welcome. Appreciate right, it. Man. Yeah. All right. Now we are ready for our LLC, which stands for Learned, Loved, and or Canceled, mm-hmm. um, where we just kind of wrap up our week and share something that we LL or seed. My learn comes from an interview that uh, I had recently with Amanda Seals, who um, is a multi-hyphenate creative. Like, she is a comedian, but she also, like, um, you know, has a 
uh, recently had a stand-up special, and she's an actress on Insecure, and she has a tour, like it's a, a black Jeopardy-style live music show called Smart, Fun, and Black that Shana, you and I have both been to. Um, and she's also very creative with her Instagram stories and just has all these projects. Um, and I asked, I was asking her about, you know, what, Actually, a question that you suggested that I asked her. Mm, I'm a journalist. <laughs> um, yeah, so I was asking her about, um, you know, wh- like when you have to say, when you have when when a project doesn't take off, you know, or an idea doesn't take off, when you like are a creative person, what do you do with that energy? And you know, how does it? Do you get sad? How do you handle it? And her response was basically, she doesn't see any of that as a waste. Like, and actually that. It's intentional because it keeps her, it's not it's intentional, but she intentionally keeps her engine running. Like she creates, she keeps the creative engine running. So like re like working on a project um, that you can't devote your full attention to like for a minute, like before bed, you know, Um, like feeding, like watching things on YouTube or reading books that like specifically um, go to the things that you're passionate about. Like as creatives, like we, there's a, there's a tendency for us to like be pulled toward the things that pay the bills. Mm -hmm. Right. But, you know, I have projects that I know I'm called to do that. I don't even, you know, I, I haven't been really focusing on. Um, And it's because I, I'm not, feeding it you know and i look at it as this big large project that Mm -hmm. has to be completed you know i gotta write a chapter you know when i sit down versus like oh well let me write that let me outline that scene tonight before i go to bed yeah um so she was just very um what my takeaway from that was be sure to feed the things that feed your spirit you know um whatever you know that you need to be working on even if it's not you know gonna be making money today if you know that it's something that is in your heart and it's your call to do, um, keep feeding it until you can devote your entire attention to it and make it a priority. So um, that was very That's helpful. Good. That's my learned. And then my love is just um, uh, a seat at the table. <laughs> and let me tell you. <laughs> a seat at the table, the Solange album? Yeah. Okay. Because, and. I, I was very careful not to put this as a counsel because I know you love it. And also, I know I'll be dragged by our listeners because so many people love Solange's new album. Mm-hmm. And it just made me want to listen to A Seat at the Table. It's definitely no A Seat at the Table, but it's art, in my opinion. It is art. Mm-hmm. And Solange, we know that, that Solange is very abstract. And it has I saw to, things it I imagine. I just, what I love... What is that song even about? But why does it have to be about... It's like, the, to me, the whole thing is her musing, which I appreciate. Mm-hmm. Like, as a creative, cool, I cool, appreciate cool. that there's just, like, musing and she's just, like, playing around with how her voice sounds and playing around to how her voice communicates with music and, like, the visual album. It's whatever. Go on. <laughs> so you love A Seat at the Table. Yes, that's my love. A Seat at the Table week. is awesome. It is one of my favorite albums yep. ever. Yep. So that's what I've been jamming to for the past three days. That is a good one. Um, and just, I was transported back to 2016 and, like, what was happening and... Yeah, fell in love all over again. So, yeah, if you uh, have time, listen to us at the table after when I get home. <laughs> listen to them both. Front to back. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs>
<laughs> That's good. Um, mine, I don't really have one. I feel like I, so to be very honest, I didn't love anything this week. It's been a really hard week. Um, but something that I did learn this week is about eye movement desensitization and reprocessing. Mm -hmm. And it's a psychotherapy treatment. Um, and it's gaining more popularity with people who struggle with, um, PTSD Mm -hmm. and like, helping them kind of unlock the connection between their trauma and how their body moves every day. Mm. Um, And I have a coworker who recently started doing it to kind of unlock some things that happened to her when she was a child. Um, So I reached out to two therapists this week who specialize in EMDR and I am meeting with one on Monday and then talking to another one. Um, Wow. Cause I think for me, I, I recognize that I have there's like some anxiety groundhogs day going on where things happen and I almost snap into that moment and realize I've lived that moment before mm. and I've lived that moment with these same anxieties and I've lived that moment with the same words and it's almost as if it's happened before mm-hmm. and I think that some of that could be rooted in something you know it it, it could be something as easy as like I saw a fight that my parents had when I was seven and I internalized that. And now every fight that I have clicks me back to that. Mm -hmm. And so um, EMDR is really supposed to help unclick that so that you can match those things together and then start to work through it. Okay. Um, So, yeah, I learned about it. I'll definitely talk once I have some sessions. I'll definitely talk about it. But yeah, let me know. how. Yeah, I just think it's like an important I feel like therapy is for everyone, but not every type of therapy is for right. everyone. And, you right. know, I've tried some just kind of general psychoanalysis mm-hmm. and it always felt a little surface and a little like I was going in there complaining about my day. And mm-hmm. so I just am really open now to trying other treatments that can maybe help with some of this like move forward. Yeah. So that's well, what I learned. Keep me updated. Yeah. And I'll just say... Because I'm your friend, I have to say that I'm so proud of you. Thank you. For setting up some therapy appointments. Yeah, well, not that I wasn't bullied into it. <laughs> By whom? From this list that you've been sending me and referencing me for like a year. I have no idea what you're talking Y'all about. Y'all get you a best friend who will find you like 12 therapists and their contact information, send it to you in an email, and then reference that email every day for a year. For, yeah, it's been about a year. Yes. <laughs> so, yes. Um... All right, that's it for us today. Yeah. So you can follow your business now on Twitter and Instagram at Y O B U S I N E S S P O D, Yo Business Pod. Mm -hmm. And you can follow me on Twitter uh, at JJ McCorvey, JJ M C C O R V E Y. Um, and on Instagram as J B Fly, J A Y B F L Y. And then my Instagram is a new creature which I'm working on becoming Um, and that is A-N-U-C-R-E-A-T-U-R-E on Instagram All right, thanks guys bye bye bye